All right, welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignment. Josh Goldberg here for another week, and a good week it was for the Blue Jays. They win consecutive series against the A's, and then they sweep the Royals, very much needed. You know, two out of three is not a disaster, but um, you gained a game on the Rangers who were playing the A's. You took care of the business that you needed to take care of, and you've got a one and a half game lead on uh, Texas as they come to Toronto for a four game series starting on Monday, obviously playoff type atmosphere. And uh, I I hope that it's a packed house. I will be there a couple of times. I know that in years past, maybe not as much in 2015, 2016, but when the kids go back to school, especially weeknight games, um, it's not necessarily as packed as weeknight games during the summer or in August, especially. But hopefully, with the stakes being what they are, it is pretty close to sold out, uh, if not sold out for those games against Texas, because they're huge. If the Blue Jays, I, I saw uh, James G on Twitter, always great info, numbers, stats, etc. when it comes to the Blue Jays, he sort of broke down what the probabilities will look like based on what occurs over these four games. So if the Blue Jays get swept, their playoff chances go down to 37%. So that's obviously the doomsday scenario. They lose uh, three of four down to 59%. That seems high to me, considering the Blue Jays will play exclusively AL East teams the remainder of the season, and they'd have to make up ground in that situation, and they wouldn't have the tiebreaker. But I guess they could still in that situation, but it'd be hard to really look at them um, super seriously to make the playoffs. If they lose a home series to the team that they need to beat out, if they split, which I think is probably what most people would say is the most realistic outcome. When you're talking about two relatively evenly matched teams, their blue Jays playoff chances are 80%. If they win the series, 97% and if they sweep 99.3% so it really illustrates how much is at stake here and how much things could shift or swing if the Blue Jays really take care of business or obviously on the flip side if they don't so uh, we can get into that series specifically a little bit later in in the show but uh, I did want to talk about the weekend that was and uh, you know, it was a lot of nip and tuck as, as per usual, but the Blue Jays did enough. And that's all that matters at this time of the year. Uh, I think expecting them to hammer teams into the ground, as we've seen in the past, is just not the way that this team is going to be built. They don't hit that many home runs. It was nice to see the big blow on Sunday being a Kevin Kiermeyer game tying or game tie breaking home run um, in the seventh inning to put them up three to two. And then obviously they went on to win five to two. Jose Barrios was awesome. Seven strikeouts, seven innings, really good starting pitching uh, had a really solid weekend Uh, Bassett and, or rather it was a Gosman was awesome. Kikuchi was awesome. And then obviously Barrios on Sunday was awesome. And their rotation lines up pretty nicely for Texas um, with, everyone but uh, Barrios pitching in a four-game series. So I I don't hate any of those matchups. And, you know, with the way that Texas has been pitching, uh, you just want to get to their bullpen as much as you possibly can. But um, the the George Springer had a really nice performance on Saturday. He's been really good over the last couple of weeks. OPS is around 1,000. Power's been there. He's been 
more so the catalyst atop the lineup that you've come to expect um, over his two plus seasons here as a Blue Jay. The season long numbers still leave something to be desired. You're talking about an OPS of about 750. He is on the verge of his first 2020 season. Um, 19 home runs, 19 stolen bases. He's already got a career high in stolen bases. It's been strange. He stole 16 in his second season in 2015, really his first full season. And then he didn't reach double digits until last year when he had 14 and then he had 19 this year. It's interesting as he gets a little bit older, 33 years old, uh, soon to be 34 next week, he'll be 34 that he's running more. I don't think he's, it really shows that he hasn't really lost a ton in that department And I still think obviously injuries being the caveat. And as you get older, your body is more likely to break down. I don't think that his skill set is that likely to just completely fall off a cliff. Uh, Obviously, like I said, injuries can play a part, but if he's healthy enough to be on the field, I don't think that he's all of a sudden going to um, be a player that doesn't deliver any value. And yeah, the OPS is going to be trending to be the lowest of his career and only the second time in his career that it'll be under 800. And that came in 2018 with the Astros when he had a 780. But it's just been an inconsistent year for him, uneven, but he can do a lot to really undo that if he continues to perform the way that he has here of late. Down the stretch, the Blue Jays get to the playoffs, and then obviously he has a run like he has put together plenty of times in the past as a member of the Astros. Yes, it hasn't happened yet for the Blue Jays. He went, he had two hits last year in the playoffs. Obviously, the the really indelible image of his playoff run last year and of the Blue Jays playoff run was the collision with Bo Bichette. But you're talking about a guy, you look at his OPS by playoffs with the Astros, 743, 997, 1276, 743, 791. Yeah, it doesn't, it's 889 for his career. He has 19 playoff home runs, even if Um, His batting average has been low in some situations. He still delivers big hits and big moments, and he has a penchant to do that. And uh, I hope that he is granted the opportunity again this year because uh, I'm always going to side with the proven performer in the big spots, and he obviously is that performer. So it will be very interesting to see if he can, um, you know, kind of continue to perform the way that he has of late. The Blue Jays uh, certainly need it. Uh, Kiermaier, like I said, the big hit on Sunday, and he's done it so many times this year, and it's been really refreshing to see him stay healthy. I think coming into the year, there were kind of two questions surrounding him. It was, was there anything left in the tank after hip surgery and being on the wrong side of 30, and how healthy would he be able to stay? Um, And he's basically been able to stay healthy. Any absences like he cut his elbow on the grate at Fenway Park and missed some time but he's playing 100 games and is trending towards maybe playing 120 which would only be the third time he's accomplished that since 2015 and like you're talking about a player you look at his games played 2017 98 2018 88 129 122 63 last year and then obviously in the COVID season he played 49 he misses a lot of time and the Blue Jays did a really good job, I think, in terms of mapping out when he wouldn't play and trying to be strategic about getting him days off of his feet to ensure that he was 
as healthy as he possibly could be. And you look at what he's brought defensively. There's a ball hit. I think it was on Saturday that was sort of into the left center field gap that off the bat. And then you see the trajectory of the ball. You're thinking, Oh, maybe this is, this has a chance to fall. And he just covers so much ground out there that it was just so nonchalant. And in years past, that's probably a ball that maybe an outfielder needs to make a great play on to make. And he makes it look so routine. And and maybe in years past, uh, it gets down and it turns into a double and it totally changes the outlook of an inning and then in turn, maybe the outlook of an entire game. And he's done that so many times. Varsho obviously made a great leaping grab on Saturday in left field. When he's been in center field, he's been awesome. So defensively, we know what Kiermaier brings to the table. The offense has been better than I would have expected. He's trending towards having maybe the third best offensive season of his career. Uh, You look at his numbers, his OPS is trending to be the highest, maybe second highest of his career, highest since 2017. Uh, He's making a ton of contact. He's had some success against left-handers. The the at-bats are consistently pretty good. There's not a lot of you know, head scratching, swing and miss. He doesn't strike out that much. He gets on base at a relatively good clip. We're talking about somebody who's on track to get on base at the second highest rate of his career. It could not have gone any better so far for the Blue Jays and Kevin Kiermeyer. You know, obviously it sounded like the Dodgers were interested in him. That who knows what ended up going on there. I think the Blue Jays probably were prepared to maybe pay a bit more or certainly guarantee him center field. That was clearly when he signed here, it was pretty clear that um, they were looking at him as the center fielder. And then obviously the Varsho trade happened and um, that wasn't moving Kevin Kiermeyer off of center field. And he's been the center fielder and it's been a huge luxury to have Varsho able to slide over to enable the Blue Jays to give Kiermeyer those off days and not lose anything defensively because Varsho is so good defensively in center field. And I do wonder what sort of a future there is because, you know, he might look at this season and figure this is a good opportunity to try and lock in as much of a guarantee on, on years as I possibly can get when you're talking about a player who is going to be 34 next season, does he want to try and get a three-year deal? I don't know if that's out there. I would think at least two years would be out there coming off of this season and showing that he still has something left in the tank more than something. He still has a fair bit left in the tank and isn't necessarily that likely to fall off precipitously uh, defensively. So maybe some team out there, maybe it is the Blue Jays says to themselves, yeah, I'm okay going and paying Kevin Kiermaier two years and I don't know, $9 million, let's call it something in that range for his age 34 and 35 seasons and feeling like he can provide some legitimate value um, defensively and not really hurt you too much at the plate. And I would be curious to see if it's something that the Blue Jays look at doing. I I wonder how much the way that the rest of the season plays out will factor into that. I think probably quite a bit if they end up missing the playoffs. Are you looking at all of those guys, those veterans who are on expirings, Merrifield, Belt, Kiermaier, obviously others as well that you would look at, whether it's younger players. I think nothing would be off limits if the Blue Jays end up 
missing the playoffs, but if they make it and they have some success and Kiermaier plays a role or belt, let's say plays a role, then maybe you look at um, bringing them back in a different light than you would have at the beginning of the season, at the midpoint of the season, or even right now. So it's an A plus for Kevin Kiermaier so far this season. He stayed healthy. He's been really productive. He's been everything and more that you could have ever hoped for when the Blue Jays signed him to that one-year deal back in December. And uh, it's been a really pleasant surprise uh, for the Jays. Um, Kevin Gosman cut his hair. That was obviously a huge storyline. His stuff was awesome. Maybe it was the short hair. Maybe it was the Royals. I'm sure it was partially the Royals. But he's just been grinding to me a little bit more than normal of late he's had some tough starts where he hasn't been as sharp you look at the start against colorado even the start against the nationals yeah he battled through five against the nats struck out seven the rain delay took him out against the rockies but he's struggled of late there's been a lot of three ball counts full counts um four or five pitch at bats where his pitch count is elevated and he's unable to really go even beyond six this is only the second time, I want to say since the beginning of June that Kiermaier has gone seven plus. He went seven against Cleveland in the second week of August. And then otherwise, it's been a lot of six, which is still great. But it'd be great to see more seven innings or six and two thirds, that sort of thing, where you can really push beyond um, the sixth inning and allow your bullpen a little bit more leeway or a little bit more of a rest. Because I, I do think that the bullpen is gassing in, in a little bit. We've seen some guys start to struggle to some extent. Trevor Richards comes to mind. Tim Mays has had some bumpy outings. You know, Garcia gave up a home run in Oakland. Romano has really labored of late, been more of a bend don't break situation, hasn't looked uh, dominant or super sharp of late this is unfortunately this is the time of year where you need your bullpen the most and hopefully this this blue jays bullpen has another gear to reach to get back to the level that we saw for the lion's share of the season but i think it is fair to wonder if some of these guys have just been so taxed that it's just not quite as crisp as it was even a month ago when you're throwing so many pitches and you're pitching in so many high leverage situations. And I think the last little while has really illustrated how important Eric Swanson is to this bullpen. It just feels like everything is a bit out of whack. The chairs just don't align the right way when Swanson's not there. You're using guys. I feel like in, in situations or earlier in games, than you might like to. Um, and I, I just think that he comes back and it really enables Schneider to, I guess, feel, I, you know, some of his bullpen decisions obviously leave something to be desired, but I, I just think it enables him a lot more flexibility when he has another proven option back there to go along with some of the guys that he has trusted all season long. And uh, unfortunately, Trevor Richards, like I said, has kind of fallen on some hard times. His ERA uh, each of the last two months, I think it was over six in August and it's over 13. I know it's a small sample size so far in September. He just hasn't been as sharp. He hasn't been as sharp from the return after he had that neck injury. Maybe that's part of it as well, but it could also just be, you know, you're kind of running on fumes a little bit at this stage of the season. And that 
is sort of an occupational hazard when it comes to being uh, a high quantity relief pitcher who is asked to throw a lot of innings. You know, he's on pace to throw the most relief innings of his career. He's been at 64 at least each of the last three seasons, 64 and a third, 64, and he's at 64 and a third this season. His ERA is back up over four, but you just, he's so, it's such a nice luxury to have that swing and miss uh, with that change up that, yeah, I'm not necessarily throwing him in the highest of high leverage, but I don't want to abandon him completely. I need to find a way to get him back uh, where that changeup is really, really effective and his fastball command is solid. And we just, you know, like it's just, that's just something that no other Blue Jay, I think, really has that dependable, bankable swing and miss stuff as consistently as Richards has had it. And we'll see if he can get it back. But uh, I, I really think that the Blue Jays need him to find some level of that before the season ends, because uh, I just think that when he's close to his peak, um, he just provides a dimension that this bullpen really sorely um, is lacking and really sorely needs um, as well. So we'll see if Trevor Richards can get it back on track. I did want to talk about Whit Merrifield, who is uh, certainly slumping as of late. He's hitting like 230 over his last 30 games or so. He's got four hits over the last week. His OPS is really plummeted and his struggles have allowed George Springer the opportunity to go back into the leadoff spot. Uh, Merrifield's four for his last 28, 12 for his last 59, 29 for his last 124. There have, there's been more swing and miss. He's hit into some double plays. He's never going to be and never has been a hard contact guy. He finds holes. He goes the, the other way. He makes enough contact and hits enough line drives that don't find gloves. And that was what was happening pretty much all season long. The, the year-long numbers still look great. He's got 11 home runs, 25 stolen bases, 62 RBIs. But his batting average was close to 300 not too long ago, and it's down around 281. And like I said, his OPS is slumped to 720. You're riding with him. Um, we'll see what happens. I don't know what the story is with Matt Chapman, how close he is. Ideally, he's close somewhat. But David Schneider has carved out somewhat of a role here. And if that means Whit Merrifield isn't necessarily insured to play every single day, then I'm okay with that if he's not hitting. Um, I Like maybe you start him in left field, but that takes Varsho out of left field and it's not your ideal defensive configuration. But at the same time, you need to score. And I still think that Merrifield's bat-to-ball skills are probably worth keeping in there in certain situations more than Varsho, even though the defensive drop-off is significant. So we'll see what happens there. Obviously, that is all contingent on what the story is with Matt Chapman. It sounds like he's not that far off, but there's no defined timetable on that. And I just don't think you can really look at Davis Schneider's bat as something that you're likely to take out. Yeah, he hasn't had a hit in the last couple of games, but he walked twice on Sunday, scored a run. Yes, he did strike out a couple of times. That's bound to happen, but I, I like what he gives on a consistent basis. There's not a lot of three-pitch strikeouts, even if he is striking out. feels like he's seeing four, five, six pitches in a bat, which I think has a trickle-down effect 
on the rest of the lineup. So we'll see what happens with um, the lineup, defensive alignment machinations, if and when um, Matt Chapman comes back. Uh, let's talk about Texas here before we sign off. And um, you look at the pitching matchups, Bassett, Dunning, you give the edge to the Blue Jays, Ryu, Scherzer. I know Scherzer has been getting shelled lately um, and really stunk in his last start against the Astros. You still give the edge to Scherzer. We're talking about a three, three-time three Cy Young winner. Montgomery, Kikuchi's a toss-up. Kikuchi, I think, probably deserves the benefit of the doubt with the way that he's pitched really all season, but especially since the all-star break. And then Gosman over Evaldi. Evaldi, I don't know how built up he is. It seems like he's only throwing 50 pitches since he's returned from missing a good chunk of time with a forearm or elbow issue, whatever it was. And the big factor in this series, I think, is the fact that the Rangers don't have Adolis Garcia and they don't have Josh Young, who was arguably the favorite to win the American league rookie of the year, right in the conversation with Gunnar Henderson before he got hurt, broke, broke a finger, broke his hand and has been on the shelf. Sounds like he's not going to return until the weekend. So the blue Jays dodge a bullet. Garcia was leading the American league and RBIs at the time he hurt his knee, trying to bring back a home run against Houston. There's still guys who can beat you in the lineup. You look one through three, it's still very intimidating. Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, Nate Lowe or Nathaniel Lowe, as he likes to be called. You look at what they did on Sunday against Oakland. They combined for eight hits, six runs, five RBIs. They scored six of the nine runs. Uh, They had eight of the 12 hits. That's what you're looking at. If you look up and down the rest of the lineup, Mitch Garver, Robbie Grossman, Travis Jankowski, Leody Tavares, Jonah Heim has really fallen off since the all-star break. And since he hurt his wrist, Josh Smith was playing third base. And then Evan Carter, their top prospect got called up when Garcia went down. There's still some guys that if you don't execute are going to be able to do damage, but it's not a particularly imposing lineup in the same way it would be with Garcia and with Josh Young in the lineup. So I I look at it and you could probably give Texas the, the leg up. I don't think by that much. I know that the Blue Jays have been a very confusing and frustrating offensive team all season long, but Texas hasn't exactly been lighting the world on fire. We're talking about a team that I think is six and 16 in the last 22 games, which has really enabled the blue Jays to stay in this race and keep them at bay, or I guess overtake them in the wildcard picture. And now the blue Jays have a one game lead over Seattle for the second wildcard spot. And I know there's going to people be people who hear that and say, oh, well, the Blue Jays need to find a way to finish in the third spot. They can't go to the trop. There's just no way. And I get what you're saying, but at this point, I don't care. I don't really give a shit. You just have to make the playoffs. And if you get in there and the matchup isn't to your liking, so be it. But are you really going to sit here and tell me that the Blue Jays would be favorites over the Twins without home field advantage? They're going to have to go on the road wherever it is, if they are able to make the playoffs, whether it's Tampa or... Uh, whether it's Minnesota, realistically. And I don't really think I can sit here with a straight face and say that the Blue Jays would be favored. This is a group that still hasn't won a playoff game. And until they do it, you can't give them the benefit of the doubt. They have to get the monkey off their back a little bit and figure out a way to have success in the playoffs. And that obviously starts by making the playoffs. But I'm not going to 
have any, oh, well, they need to drop back into the third wildcard spot. They need to let Seattle pass them. They can't finish in the two spot because that means a trip to Tropicana Field. Whatever. If that ends up happening, so be it. It's playoff baseball. Yeah, it's worse against the Rays because they're the Rays. And sure, you'd probably rather play the Twins, but I'm not going to sit here and say that the Twins are going to be some easy out that you should be striving to face. It's still winning a road series exclusively and winning two out of three um, against a team that has home field advantage and has some good pitching and obviously has some bats in the lineup who can do damage. So let's not put the cart before the horse. The Jays have to make the playoffs. And obviously it starts by having some success against Texas. This is what it's all about. You know, the easy games are over. You went 10 and five in the stretch that you needed to take care of business. I said anything worse than 10 and five would be a failure. And Texas being as bad as they were, maybe changed the equation a little bit. But even if you went nine and six, you're going into this series with a half game lead and everything's up in the air. And, you know, split here, you have the debt, you control your own destiny if you just win more games than Texas down the stretch. Certainly three out of four gives you that extra game cushion with the tiebreaker because you would win it by one game over Texas. And then they would have to surpass you by a game to ensure that they take the spot outright. But the Blue Jays put themselves in a good position by going 10 and five. Yes, they benefited from Texas going six and 16 over the last 22 games, but the slate is clean now four games. And then obviously you've got the remainder of the season. I think it's 15 straight against the AL East. It's Boston. And then you have a road trip through New York and Tampa or Tampa, New York. I can't remember which order and then homestand to close it out against New York and Tampa. And it's just, you flip flop those two series and blue Jays are going to have to have success against the teams that they've struggled against all year. I think, what are they 12 and 25 against the American league East they're going to need to obviously play much better baseball against those teams if they want to find themselves in October for a second straight season and for the third time in the last four years. Like I said, this is what it's all about. It's exciting. It's stressful. You're living on pretty much every pitch, every uh, mound disengagement. It's going to be stressful. And this is what you signed up for when you decided to be a fan of a baseball team. And I'll just say that I, I grew up not having September meaningful September baseball in this city for 22 years. And I'll take this, even if it's frustrating a lot. And, you know, there are situations where the at-bats aren't great or the bullpen blinks or what, what have you, anything that can come up in the course of 27 outs of a nine inning baseball game, this is worth it. And you just want to get into October and give yourself a chance and let the chips fall where they may. And the Blue Jays right now are in a good position to do that, but they have to continue playing good baseball if they want to get there. As always, I appreciate uh, tweets at jgolbert12 at DFA underscore pod is where you can find the podcast. A like, rate, review, comment, subscribe, wherever you find your podcast designated for assignment. It's greatly appreciated. And thanks as always for listening. We'll see how it goes against Texas and then Boston on the weekend. Should be a very interesting week to recap. I'll do it again next Sunday. As always, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you then on designated for assignment.